When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Smetty here, and they do all kinds of freaky stuff with it. Hate all you want. All right, welcome to another edition of Golic and Smetty. Though this edition is minus Smetty, that would be just Smetana. She is off this week and coming in and helping out and co-hosting with me because we sat at a desk together many, many times, many times, many years ago, and. You know, doing it uh, recently as well, and it's been a, been a joy. Sean Salisbury is is sitting in in Jess's spot today, and uh, Sean, appreciate you uh, joining me. This will be like you know riding a bike for as much as we've been together. That's for sure. I was going to say I can't do much well, but I know how to feed off you and roll with you, brother. And boy, what what a what a backseat you took uh, with with this partner you got today instead of Jess. Man, <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, please, great to be on. with you though, brother. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It'll be fun. Listen, this is one of those things that that over the years, we well, we did a show. For those that don't know, Sean and I have known about each other since senior years in high school uh, when we were on a, uh, uh, what was it, Parade All-American or an All-American yep. magazine together. Me, you, Jack Del Rio, the the late, God rest his soul, Bill Fralick. Yeah, uh, we had uh, Mike Larkin from Moeller High, right. if you remember him. Oh, and yeah, he's Garrett. my teammate. Yeah, yeah that's right. I forgot. It. That's right, Mike. Yeah. How, how do, yeah, if you remember him, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our guy, uh, Garen Varis, remember him from yes. Stanford, long time. What a I, stud he was in high I, school. I played against him, I believe, in, in the North-South Ohio All-Star right. game. Right. Yeah, I played yep. against him and Jim Lachey, who ended up playing for the Redskins for a lot of years. So a lot of guys in, in our time yeah, uh, playing. So so we, we knew about each other forever. And then, again, everybody sees NFL Live now. Um, it, it started as NFL Tonight, and the original cast was Mark Malone, who went from analyst to host as the former quarterback of the Steelers, to me, Sean, and Merrill Hodge being the initial analyst for that. We did that for years. And I would still say – some of the most fun we had in that is when, uh, after the season, when it was the Pro Bowl, when we got to go out there oh. for a week and work for maybe maybe 15 minutes a day in the morning and the rest Mike, of the day do whatever we want. <laughs> when some, somebody, my, you know, some of the fellows will say, man, do you miss NFL Live? I said, well, yeah, I miss great relationships. And yeah. It was five days a week, and we'd do it four days usually. Or five. Right, right. And it was, we, we, and it was a blast because we got to talk football. I said, but the greatest reward is we got to go do it in – khakis and hawaiian shirts and flip-flops we'd work for about an hour a day and the rest was on the beach and i say please just let me get the pro bowl i'll do that for them for the pro bowl if they yep. like man i'm all in if oh. they ever get that back those were those 12 years were some of the best of my life and the laughs and the memories and the good stuff and I could still picture the coffee early in the morning before we go out on the beach and out on the set, brother. Yeah, yeah we we we'd, we'd hit that we hit that breakfast buffet right. with, the, with all right. our kids and everything. That was, was a lot of fun. A lot of years ago, yep. a lot of fun. So yep. Sean and I, again, played against each other. He was at U went to USC. We're going to get into that probably right off the bat. Ooh. And uh, and obviously, I went to Notre Dame, so we played against each other there. Played against each other in the NFL. Uh, and if I remember correctly, you won you won a Grey Cup in the CFL, did you? I not? did. Yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. Yep. It was between. I had two years in a league, and I wasn't playing much, Mike. You know, I mean, I wanted to play. It's weird how you get hurt and then you go into the league, and they kind of view you as okay. Okay, you're waiting for your chance. They'll draft right. somebody, and you you're not going to get the shot. And then you go there, and then I come back from there as we won the Grey Cup. And the next year, I'd like led the league or right at the top in passing. You know. We threw it all over the place. And it's amazing then how everybody thought, well, the guy can throw it a little bit. And then I went like on an eight-team tour 
And I'm yeah. like, well, this is kind of cool. I'm not really that big a free agent, but, and then I ended up landing in Minnesota, but yeah, it was, it was yeah. a great experience for me because I got to play and it enhanced and I got to call my own plays my first year there. Oh, really? So it actually, it actually helped me football IQ and Mike Riley, the great Mike, you know, Mike is such a great dude who coached in Nebraska and SC and was a chargers head coach. And Mike coached me there and it was, a, we had a great, and we had the ability for us to, I mean, he, he let us do, he wasn't a micromanager. He was a really good coach, but he kind of empowered us. And we, Hey, we got in as like a wild card teams within, and next thing you know, we're going on the road and winning, winning, winning before you know, we're in a great cup. And we won 22 to 21 on a tip ball by Mike gray on a two pointer. We got the ball at the goal line. We ended up winning. And I never did that, that, you know, that, that rouge or whatever the rule they have there. Yeah. I never thought I liked it until it helped us. So <laughs> what a great cup. So yeah, it was, a, it was great experience because I got to throw and, you know, all reps aren't good reps, but those two years were great reps for me. And it was memorable. That uh, Canadian, my dad played in the Canadian league right. when, back when they only let three Americans on the team. He played for Montreal, Saskatchewan and Hamilton. And my son, Mike, Mike actually went up with Montreal for a short time right. until we found out he was working with the stars until we found out that they don't, they won't, they don't start any Americans on the offensive line. So he would have had that. And we were like, okay, well, why, why, why are we here? Yeah, we're here to get the reps and you say you can be a starter, but you know, so it's a, it's a wild thing up there, but I know my Did dad. Did your dad play with Cousineau? Was your dad before Tommy no, no, Cousineau? No, no, no. My brother Bob played with Tommy Cousineau. Right, that I knew, yeah. right. Yeah. No, oh, that's my, right. Cause he yeah, had, yeah. cause Cousineau was probably early seventies to mid seventies, right? Well, well Cousineau was, he went in the draft with my brother, Bob, I think in 79, Cousineau would have been the first pick, the first pick right. by the bills for those that may right. not remember. He was a linebacker out of Ohio state and he chose to go play in Canada. And then he came and played with the Browns and he was a right. teammate with my brother, Bob. They had great wrestling matches. They went to, they were rival high school, St. Joe high school, St. Ed high school in, in Northeast Ohio. Uh, so pretty wild. I don't want to be between. I don't want to yeah. be between Bobby and, and, and Tom Cousineau, man. No thanks. That'd be a that. That's the the, the pile driver and the rest of it oh, that gets you, man. Stunts. Without without a doubt. But uh, I, I, it's interesting. There's so much to get to. You mentioned calling plays on your own, and I want to get into some of that because I know you work with quarterbacks and me calling college games. How many times you I kind of get sick and tired of as the play's going on, everybody's doing hut hut, and then everybody looks over to the sideline to get the play, you know. And then I so I want to oh, yeah. get into that of how much that can hurt a quarterback's development before they get to the NFL. But and also we're going to get into training camps. Training camps, the early training camps start the 18th of this yep. month for the rookies that show up. So I want to talk a little a little training camp with you, but but. We're, we're as we're taping this, you had just finished, and I think this is, is very cool. I know we've talked about this before, but you work with young quarterbacks now. Uh, what are the age is it is it grade school to you high school what? all through everything? Uh, uh, it, anywhere, Mike. I had a guy call me real quick, a dad, and he calls me up one time. He got it from another quarterback I was training his dad. You know, they hang around all of a sudden. You know, I got somebody train your kid, and he calls me up and it's and he says, Hey, uh, I got a son. That, that I'd like to have you start training. He goes, how, what's the earliest you start training? I said, well, you know, depending on where they are, you know, right. age, you want to make it fun. If they're younger, every, I try to, I'm a self-esteem builder for them, but you know, the mechanics and stuff. And I said, cool. And we start going on. Then we didn't, I didn't ask the age. Then we had a conversation a couple of days later. I said, by the way, how old is your son? He goes, he's six, six. seven years old. Yes. And I said, Oh, well that young. I said, well, yeah, but, I said, we'll work in where it's fun with his buddies because right, the attention right. span. Yeah. Mike, he sends me a, I said, well, you got anything on him just for fun? His name's, first of all, the kid's name's Maverick. So you damn well know he's got to be a player, right? Oh, my. Oh, and he's got to be a quarterback, yes. too, oh, right? No, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. And so he sends me of his kid doing three-step drops with a Nerf ball in his hallway. Mike, I, I, I mean, literally, it was, I, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, three-step drop, and some kids will hop into it. He's going one big, two little, and throwing on time without a hitch. And so the first time I get him out there, I said, hey, give me a three-step drop. He didn't say, well, what's a three-step drop? Well, I'm saying seven. Boom, 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 and throwing a slant route. I'm like, and he's a little guy, but he'll grow, hopefully grow into it. Yeah, but he, yeah. his football IQ, and he loves Mahomes, and he just, that's like, this is crazy. So they start, I, I guess you could say it's seven, but it's rare. So anywhere from junior high or young and i love his his family's a great and they're not you know they let him be a kid too because he's a really good athlete but with a name maverick i said come on man 
we, we got to make at some point in time, he's got to be a great player. I'm, I'm in trouble with this, yeah, this name. Yeah. He's got to be a player. So in, all the way up through high school and then college, I've worked with guys at every level. But my main the, the main ones usually are anywhere from the eighth grade to high school seniors. And then you get them in college and you train with them when they come back from a guy like Matt Stafford, for instance. Right. Or Bernie Kozar. I'm not changing their arm angle in their 30s. I mean. It'd be like you and I go and taking a golf lesson, then trying to trying to go score, right, right? Right. But I can change their feet or their lower half to get them in position. You know, like Julio Franco, the former baseball player. Listen, he's got a, a different baseball swing, but when his hands come through the hitting zone, he levels the barrel of the bat up. And it's a, I want to get their legs in position now, but you can't coach them all the same because one guy's arm angle may be different because the guy's a an overstrider. So it, there's a ton of pressure on him, Mike. I'll tell you why. And you were the same way. You wrestle and play football. I went from sport to sport. I never had a quarterback lesson in my life. It was just, oh, you got cleats on this week. You finished on a Friday night. We got basketball starting yeah. on Monday. And then base, <laughs> right? It was that, that's yeah. the way it was. And you'd watch your guy. And I watched a lot of football. And I was fortunate in my high school that the two, the, the dad who was the athletic director, who was a phenomenal human being, his two sons were both division one quarterbacks in front of me. And we had a run of like a dozen straight quarterbacks at my high school. So I watched how they went about it, and I was coached well in high school, but never had a lesson. Nowadays, everybody's got them, Mike. Everybody, the specialization, which we can get to another time. I like multi-sport guys. I yes, never say, yes. but that's up to what they want to do with their family. But the and pressure, it's not. It's usually not the kid, right? It's the parent it, and or the coach, right? That says coach you know you need it all kid. the time. Yes, who come? Well, I'd like you to be there all the time. Well, I always say this. I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you what the coach or your parents. But I know this, if you're the best quarterback and the best center fielder, <laughs> coach is going to play you. What going to play you, right. His job. So right. I'd say, but have fun. You know, you got to do what you love to do. And so I, I, the pressure is enormous because, Mike, we and we, we and it happens because guys like Pat Mahomes and 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 when Aaron Rodgers and these guys, they come in, they're so advanced that we, we our, our, our expectations of them. It's ludicrous what we expect. We listen, if you're if you come in Davis Mills as a third round pick and have one bad game, looking for the next fan, the fans, it's our, our expectations are because of the guys who do this. Every, we, we compare everybody to Mahomes, to Brady. We're talking about the outliers of the very best of the best. When we were coming up in Marino and Montana and Elway, while they were special, we gave you a little leeway to learn, right? Yeah. There was the unique one. Now, dude, you don't get leeway. If you're Zach Wilson and you play poorly your rookie year, we start to wonder if you're a franchise guy, right? We, we see, we want to quit on him sooner. I don't mean everybody. It's not a blanket statement, but the pressure because of seven on seven, we're throwing it all the time now, now even more so with name, image, and likeness. So you made $10 million. And I got a kid who's going to make a lot of money, name, image, and likeness, Mike. He's a sophomore and he is a monster. Wow. Great player. So the pressure to live up to the billing and now with, transferring and i get these kids and in texas it's also different mike you played in ohio which is off the charts and i was in california texas is just different and you know this don't plan a wedding on a friday night nobody's going they're going to watch high school football (laughs) so it's just the pressure from every and a lot of it has to do with money the expectations we don't expect freshmen in college to back up for a year and then go be a starter we expect them to be in the heisman trophy talk We, we just do stroud and bryce young so and I, you know, I try to train them to, to love it and be successful and give themselves a chance. But, and I, and to, and to let them know, as you and I both know, the one five-star, they're going to tell the five-star the next year, then the next year. So what I try to do is my number one goal is to help them self-correct because you and I can't coach them yelling from the stands. It doesn't right. any good yeah. to, to tell them to get over good plays and bad plays equally as quick and to teach them mechanically and football wise how to handle duress that when it's not going well to find ways to get it done, because I can find anybody in high school that can throw it. The question is, can you play quarterback instead of just throw it? But the, the I've never, the pressure was on us a lot, but with social media and everything, you have one bad performance and all of a sudden you're a heel. Yeah. It, it's, it's ridiculous. The responsibility we put on these kids, but now they're getting paid handsomely for it. If you're really yeah. good. Yeah. I love the one NFL quarterback you mentioned is Zach Wilson who's in the news for a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, is he? Yeah. Your boy, like, Zach, it, you cool guy, it, right? It seems amongst the other players build a whole lot of street cred up. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they forgot about the interceptions yeah. and the completion percentage. It's like, dude, you just became a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah exactly. 40 touchdowns this year. <laughs>
Oh, that's one way to stay in the news. I tell you that much. Oh, All right, man. we're gonna we want to get to, to college because it's interesting where your school ended up and where my school may end up, considering the rivalry there is. But um, I want I want to start in the NFL and training camps just because I, I love going back training camps, training camp. I know it's different today. They they don't do two days in a row and all that blah blah blah. And I'm not going to sit here and and say oh they have a lot better shit. I wish <laughs> we only hit oh. once a day. I mean we might have, we might have hung on for five more well, years, right? And and, and yeah, that's certainly okay. why the veterans wanted right. what they wanted in the OTAs and in training camp. So so that could uh, so so it could hopefully prolong their career. Again, the early ones, I think the Raiders and the Bills start the 18th with the rookies. Some others start the 19th. Most everybody's in by the 26th. Go back to your rookie year and just just kind of reminisce about your first pro training camp. Oh, my gosh. And, Mike, you, you could probably vouch. First off, playing at a big university like you did, because I got something I want to ask you about this, too. And going to SC, I felt like, like you that, on the practice field at SC, I felt like I was playing NFL football every day. I yeah. did. But it's still not pro football. And I remember I, I'd go through and then I show up to Seattle. And even before training camp, we, had, we didn't have OTAs. It was two mandatory two-day minute and a half mini camps, right? right and right. then we'd show up at camp. Yep. And then I, I'm thinking, first of all, I'm, I'm, they had five quarterbacks. They had Paul McDonald. They had gone, went out and got. Okay. Gail Gilbert was on there. David Craig was a the quarterback. They drafted David Dory from UCLA and signed a guy from Portland State, and I signed last. I was still pissed that I wasn't drafted. You know how that goes. So oh, said, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And my old man said, get your butt to go up there. He goes, put a chip on your shoulder and do what you know how to do. Well, I went up there, and first day of minicamp, we're out there, and we're at, and there's a one, and I hadn't met him, but the quarterback, the jersey's too big. His shorts <laughs> don't fit right. And he's warming up, and I'm looking over there, and I'm thinking – and I'm at the time, Mike, I'm 6'5", 230. I'd worked my butt off to get ready, right? Right, right. Big, strong-arm thrower. I'm going to show them. So we're warming up and throwing, like, routes on air. And I'm, like, curl routes to, to, that everybody knows what the route tree is. And I looked at one of my young guys, a young receiver on the team, and I said, I'm beating this guy out. That was David Craig. Really? <laughs> you, know, yeah, to, you know how David Craig had a uniform. Oh, Everything yeah. looked too big. Like, yeah. a kid who got the uniform at Christmas with the plastic uh, helmet it just didn't <laughs> fit. And so I, I, we're about a half hour into it. I said, I'm beating him out. Because it didn't, that, that's not the David, that, that can't be the David Craig. Right, like right. 30,000. <laughs> Mike, by about an hour later, we're into seven on seven. And then like team drills going through it. <laughs> He's throwing post corners to Steve Large. And the ball's leaving his hand like three seconds before I throw it. And it's dropping in the bucket. Perfect. <laughs> I looked at the same guy that, an hour later. I said, I ain't beating this guy. So <laughs> I got a great person. And I got, you know, the, the original running back, Kurt Warner and largest hair. And I'm like, man, I know I play with Banks and, and Marcus Allen and all those great players, but this is, you're standing in the huddle, grown men. Yeah. Yes. And so the one that, and this will stick out here. And so we're, we had a play called 70 Y option just to give you an idea how good some guy, Steve Largent was number 80 and we'd go gun, right? Spread 70 Y option. And so, and Chuck Knox was a defensive head coach. Right. Right. So he, you know, normally everything we do is even to the right, odd to the left. Mike with Chuck Knox, it was odd to the right for the offense, even to the left. So you wanted to put a plus minus, like we'd run 28 toss, like right. student body right. If it was 28, that was to our left, not our right. So you can imagine minicamp, you're scared. I'm like, are you kidding? I just want to play football. Now I can't do it. So we study all offseason. So we're at minicamp, and I look at him. I said, okay, they go gun right spread 70 Y option. That's the exact play. I'm still telling you. And I said, what's the read? I asked every, I asked the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach, and he said, throw the ball to 80, which was large. And he was sure. running the slot. We were two by two sp spread out and we were in the gun. It's like the gun, not, not a whole lot of teams are doing this, right? Exactly. He'd yeah. run a six yard. We give him a four way break on the option, Mike. And so I'd say, okay, but what, what's the read? Cause I was I, mentally, I was into it. Right. They said, throw it to 80. I'm like, okay. So we go through mini camp. I come back to training camp. I ask the same thing. I go, so when I get into these games, I, and, and I had the training camp of my life, and I'll get to that, but I said, what's the play? They said, it's 70-Y it's option, throw it to 80. I said, what's the read? And everybody told me the same thing. And you know what the read was? Throw it to 80. He, he caught about 90 balls on 70-Y option where he'd go up. A little six-yarder, six huh? Out. Oh, yeah. And we led the league in like third and six, less than six first down. <laughs> and I, I learned very valuable that large is that good when he, unless he falls down. And when it gets to everything, you know, stare the receiver down. I said, look at him. 
and throw it to 80. And David Craig did continually, and they racked up yards. And at the end of that year, he became the all-time leading receiver in the NFL before Rice and that group. Right, right. So, Mike, for me, I, it was one of those, you know what, how you go to a camp and you're like, please, dear Lord, let everything fall into place. It has to for me to make a team. Yeah. Because I'm getting reps behind McDonald. Yeah. And I had the, well, I had the best preseason I ever had. And that's 10 years in a league. And I made the team. And I can remember walking down the last cut. And David Craig didn't talk to me during training camp. And I was like, dude. And, you know, he, he was that veteran. So finally, when I made the team, he was one of the first guys that came up to me in the dorms. Really? And I said, I said why were you such a prick to me? Because Gail, they're all large and kinny, easy, great. Everybody's talking, yeah. And he goes, you know why, Sean? He goes, because I form relationships with rookies and they get cut. And I hate that losing that friend. And wow. it made sense. Yeah, yeah. And from then on, he was just a, you know, friggin' great teammate. And Mudbone was as good as it gets. But I learned valuable lessons about relationships. And I followed Largent and Kenny Easley around like a baby duck following a mother duck. And I drove them nuts. But I learned a lot. And it helped shape my career because I learned from people a lot smarter and a lot better than me. And, you, you and learned- I love training camp, Mike. I for my whole career. And McMahon made me love it even more. You know how he is. Yeah, I'll get I into that. Love going screw to training you, camp. Screw you quarterbacks. You <laughs> damn love a training I knew that camp. Was oh, my. I, I have time. never met a guy my, who my loved training camp. Yeah, yeah. And you got the red jerseys on. I never met a guy that loved training camp more than Jim McMahon when we were teammates in Philly. It was just it was unbelievable. But uh, And also, you learn not to judge a book by his cover with, with uh, Craig, huh? The you way it looked. Lying, Isn't that amazing? I, I said, okay, now I understand timing and throwing receivers open, yep, and I learned yep. it in a hurry at yep. minicamp. So we, we kind of both came at it from the same way you were on draft that I was in the 10th round of 12 rounds. So even 10th rounders weren't expected to make it. And I'll never forget going, it was at San Angelo State. I got drafted by the Oilers, and we drove about six hours to San Angelo State. And, and you're right. All of a sudden, I mean, you're lining up there, you know, against men. I played against Mike Munchuk when I was a freshman at Notre Dame, and he was a yeah. senior at Penn State, right. and he wore my ass out in that game. And now here I come as a, as a rookie. He did that to a lot of people yes. for a long time. <laughs> he did that as a rookie, and I played right. outside backer and, like, end at, at times in, in college. I got to Houston. I was about 280. And they ran a 3-4. All of a sudden, I was a freaking nose tackle. I'm like, are you shitting me? I've never played this in my <laughs> life. I'm like a ping pong ball in there. But I'm like, like my dad always said, tell them you can, if they say, can you play it? Say yes and figure it out, you know? Right. And so you just kind of throw yourself in there. But that, you're lining up against him. Uh, Bruce Matthews was on that offensive line. So I'm playing against two eventual Hall of Famers. It makes you get better because it makes you have to have your head above uh, water to survive and then try and get better. Um, but I, re- I remember I was so scared. So we stayed in these shitty dorms like we normally did. Now everybody, they have great you know sites now, which is great kudos right. to them. And I had a clock in there and I brought my own alarm clock. So I had two clocks in there in bed and I still, when I, I barely slept, I would sleep for an hour, wake up, I would look at the one clock it would say the time. I'd look at the clock I bought, brought and said the exact same time. I didn't believe it. I got up, went out in the hallway and looked at the hallway clock just oh, in yeah. case. Scared I mean, just scared to death of, of ever being late. Now, in camp, I broke my ankle that year. So I ended up being on IR uh, my whole rookie year. So when I came back the next year, I had to go through the whole thing again to make the team. And, and it is something when you make the team. I mean, there oh, is yeah. that. But I have a cool story about how I made, how I found out I made the team. You know, I'm still, I, I thought I did. I thought I played well enough too, but you never know. I was still a 10th rounder coming right. off being on IR. Well, my father-in-law, God rest his soul, Ken Hansen. So they're coming up to the last cuts the day before. And he calls the Houston Oilers office, right? And he gets a yeah. secretary on the phone. And he acts like he's with a paper. And he gives some spiel about, a deadline, this or that. I won't say anything, but I just need to know so I can put the names out. He sold it enough where this lady told him who the cuts were. My father-in-law told me I made the team. And oh, I and I classic. thought, oh yeah, I thought he was bullshit. And he's like, oh yeah, I got all the cuts. I'm like, oh my God. He, he got all the information. That was unbelievable. That's called get the answers to the test beforehand. Yeah. I love yeah. it. That was pretty wild. Well. I was just, oh my gosh, going to. And then they start getting rid of people before you, and you know, oh, like yeah. quarterback goes down. I'm like, okay, I got a legitimate shot at this. Yep, in the final yep. preseason game, I played too, but I'm with you. The fear factor, Oh, I was afraid to death to 
be, I mean, and people say, well, what are you afraid? Well, afraid of, we're fighting for your friggin' football yeah, life. And I didn't want to be right. late. And as a rookie, the 10th rounder and free agent, you can't be late. You can't screw up reps. And you sure as hell mentally can't get behind. Yeah. So Jacob Green, you know, big Jake. Yeah. One yeah. of the great guys. He took me under his wing, too. So one night during training camp, Mike, we're in Seattle. And I did, wasn't breaking curfew. Dude. I wasn't drinking a beer because right. I, I wasn't going to let it affect me the next. I was studying. Right. Didn't matter with the vet. I was afraid to death. So he comes. He goes, he, he goes, Sal, you're, you're coming with us tonight. Come with me tonight. I got you. I said, Jake, I mean, we're three quarters <laughs> of the way into training camp. Right. 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 And I mean, we're, yeah, I, I need this last week and a half to, <laughs> to, to make sure I sustain this shit. Right. And he goes, no, you come with me, young fella. I said, oh, all right, Jake. And, you know, Chuck loved Jake. And Jake was he was one of our guys. And I said, right, well, if Jake right. Green says your ass is coming, You're going. your ass is showing up. He, they called it going over the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and so 11 o'clock hits for curfew. Yeah. He said, get to, he goes, you come out. I go, I'll be right there. Come to my room, pick you up, pick me up. And we're going, I get out and I go with Jake. I said, okay, we go over and dude, there's 15 cars pulling out 20 cars at that time. A yeah. veteran team. Oh yeah. What, 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 and Chuck Knox loved veterans, right? As long as you, and Chuck had a saying, he goes, if you're going to throw your ball over the wall, you better be able to go get it. That's exactly that was his, right. You know, that yep. was his philosophy. It, it, if you're hung over the next day, you still better show up for practice, or yep. then it's really a problem. Right. So we go walking into a place called the Keg, which is a local bar right down from the facility. Mike, we walk in there, and it's me and Jacob and a couple other fellas on defense, and there's eight coaches sitting at a couple tables. And I'm like – and he looks at me, he's smirking, Jacob. I'm like, dude, I, this is crazy. I'm going to get cut. He goes, I got you. Dude, I'm, I'm scared to death the next day. I'm there early. You know, I'm waiting for somebody to come up and say, what are you doing, man? That's right. for veterans. Right. Like a setup, right? And they didn't say a word to us. Drank. We must have got in at 1.30. And I'm, you know, I had minimal. You fake it. You drink one for like four hours, right? Right, right. We wake up the next day. You go out and you practice one. I'm waiting for Chuck Knox to come up and say something. Not a word. Fortunately, I practiced well and didn't break it. I'm like, and, and the whole time, the beads of sweat have nothing to do with the heat, had everything to do with, oh, my gosh, they're going to walk up to me. And I learned a valuable lesson about that, too. When a veteran tells you to do something, yep. as a rookie, your ass better do it, especially when it's a leader. I said, well, I can't get that much trouble. I'm with Jacob. Then I right. thought, well, I'm not Steve Larger or Dave Craig either. So where's the happy medium? But fortunately, I made the team, and we had a few of those. And then the next time after I made the team, that, that – I had no hesitation in drinking more than one beer. I could promise you that. <laughs> so that that's a, a great story that leads me to a very similar story. Now, this is when I was a veteran with the Eagles after the couple of years in Houston, about two or three with the Eagles, when we, you know, same thing. Curfew Free hits spirits, we, you know, yeah. with, with Buddy Ryan, and he was the same way. I don't give a shit what you do during the week. You better be ready to play on Sunday. Well, in training camp, if you're going to go out, you damn well better be able to practice the next day. Right. You know, that, and that's so we broke curfew all the time and didn't get crazy. We just, we just went really and sat and had beers. You Relax. Know? Was, right. Yeah, right. exactly. So coming to the end, uh, as a D-line, we got the rookie D-lineman. There's probably four or five of them at this point. And we said, all right, guys, after curfew, our place, your place is called the keg. Our place is called the rat. It was the rat skeller. We call like it. It's called the rat. So same thing. We're walking and we're passing the front of the joint where you can see in the big window. And there's an upstairs and the downstairs. And we usually go downstairs and drink. And we look in and sure enough, there's probably five or six coaches sitting right at the bar, right around the corner. And the rookies are like, shit. Oh, we're screwed. We're screwed. We're like, listen, between you guys get about 40, 50 bucks. Okay. Get it. We chipped in, gave them some money. I said, all of you, so they see you all, walk in, slap the money on the bar, say drinks are on us, and just come back to downstairs, right? So we all come walking in, and sure, those four or five are shitting themselves. Oh, yeah. Walking over to the coaches after curfew. <laughs> and they put the 50 bucks on the bar, and you saw there was just a little bit of interaction. And then they turned around and walked back. And they walked back, and they had these wide eyes. We're like, what's up? They're like, they just said you better make sure you practice well tomorrow, and that right, was it. That's right. Like that, yeah. Don't leave your glove on the mound so somebody else <laughs> can come out and pick it up. And you mentioned Jimmy Mack earlier. Well, the best. I mean, I had fun at every train. As you get once you make the team and established by yeah. even though I competed, yeah. it felt a little comfortable at years three through ten, right? That you were gonna yeah, yeah. pretty much make a team. But Jimmy made training camp. Is, and now he wore my ass out because he'd keep you up till three thirty in the morning talking in your dorm yeah, room yeah. and 
then he'd go out, he'd go, kid, Mac would go, kid, I, my shoulder, I can't go today. I'd say, you prick. Yeah. And I'm out there throwing every ball <laughs> in two days. And he's back there with his hands and his sweats laughing, laughing his ass off, right? And nobody sweat Jim. Jim could do what he – Mac did what he wanted. Jim, he, right? I never never was Made a guy a, that enjoyed the game more than Jimmy Mac. Ever. And nobody practiced worse and was yeah. a gamer more than McBad, too. He And the greatest – the guy that when you play against him, you want to, like, punch him right in his head. And then when yeah. he's a teammate, you're like, oh. this is the greatest cat on the planet. And Mac and I forged – and I know you have a long friendship, yeah. one yeah. of the best yeah. friends – I ever played with it. He is as good a team. When people wonder what kind of teammate he is, I can just tell you this phenomenal. And if you're, and if you're tired of training camp, which I'm sure you're like me, Mike, I probably quit football oh. day three or four, every How training camp, times? like nine yeah. straight years. I said, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And then you get up and go, but Mac always made it fun at night and the grind. And even when you were struggling the next day, keep do something to keep things going. So Training camp, my memories of training camp were all good. I love the grind, but it's different for you because we didn't get, like I said. Right, right, my, right. My, yeah. my poor, tired arm yeah. and the mental part when you guys are getting the yeah. – and that was back in the day when we did practice three straight days, yeah. two in a row. Hit all and the you time. guys are taking on these guys and knocking people to the ground. And when somebody blew out a knee, they just moved the drill. Unbelievable. We yeah. they just moved the drill. And so, while that's not get off my lawn, old head, that's just the facts. That's Times have changed. Yeah. But you know what? I'd rather be them getting paid more and practicing less than <laughs> – it may not make for the best brand of football, but damn, I could take it. Just like you said yeah. at the beginning of this. I, yeah. I think that's where I got my hate for quarterback through. It was during training <laughs> camp when I'm puking guts and bleeding and y'all are just kind of That's the same way I felt about kickers when they're working on oh, the yeah, ball yeah. swing on the side. <laughs> oh, I think the biggest thing, because I want to move on to college, I think the biggest thing that was an eye-opener to me was thinking starting once you get out of camp and you start your process of a regular season – I remember thinking to myself, and I'm glad I didn't say it out loud. I thought, this is going to be great. I mean, at Notre Dame, you know, at USC in college, you go to class, you got to practice, you got to watch film, then you got study hall or you got to do homework. There's no school. Man, the days are going to be short. This is going to be a breeze. And then all of a sudden, you're like, 7 o'clock, you're lifting. You don't get out of there until 6 at night. And you realize you spend more time preparing not on the football field than on the football field. And I don't even count walkthroughs as really being on the field. I mean, actual practice. It is amazing the time that you spend at the facility. It makes you say, I'd rather be taking that test in in poli-sci or in biology (laughs) in college because you're right. And then you realize the grind. It's kids, guys at home, and then you have a baby. And you get married, you got to keep, and that. And then you still got to study. And you got to watch tape so you don't get left behind because it's the mental and emotional part, Mike, that I think eliminate a lot of guys, right? It's not just because they can all throw it and tackle and block and run. Some are more special than others, but the, the, the ability to stay up on the, the mental side, but you're right. There was nothing easy about it, but man, what a, I do it all again, Mike. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do it all again. No I doubt do it about it. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, uh, as we were getting ready for this, I asked people for questions about anything they wanted. I want to throw a few in. And one is kind of about ball players from our year to now. Uh, Danny R415, he says, he asked, so many critics say that athletes of yesteryear could not compete in today's NFL. My question to you and Sean is, could you have made a 2022 NFL roster and if so, become a starter? I have, I have a, because oh, I used to answer, answer this first. So, so here's, here's my thought. I, I don't believe in the take me in 1987 and pop me into 2022. It would always piss me off when people said, oh, if LeBron played in the 80s, he'd get his ass kicked. 
Well, my thought was, if LeBron played in the 80s, that means he was born in that era of basketball. That means he grew up on that era of basketball. And at LeBron's size, he'd be kicking everybody's ass in that era of basketball because that's what he'd be used to. So if I was playing in this era, that means I was born in this era where there's better nutrition, there's better workouts, there's better everything to prepare yourself. I think I was mentally tough enough to do that. So I never bought into take my body in, you know, now there are some where you could. So if you're going to ask me the literal question, I still would have the confidence enough in myself that I could still play and make a team. But overall, I hate that question because if you're playing now, that means you were born in this era and are used to this type of play. Great question by the, the, the gentleman who sent it in. I love the question. It's a horseshit narrative, though, Mike. You're exactly yes. right because the truth of the matter is what separates me gets back to it. The guys that aren't mentally tough in the 80s aren't going to be mentally tough in 2015, and they'll lose, they'll lose themselves. And listen. Steph Curry can play in the 70s. Yeah. Okay. I know it's a different brand. Just like Wayne Gretzky could play today. Just like you and I. Yeah, I could play. I could play. I'd have fresher legs. I could still throw it. I could still. Yes. And so could you. And yes, we'd make a team. And yes, we'd get paid. And yes, we'd play just as long as we did. Maybe longer because of the lack of pounding. More pressure. Social media. Hell, the social media thing that would have eliminated some of the guys. Yeah, that's for sure. Mike, you're going to tell me Michael Jordan couldn't still average 35? Of course yeah. he could. LeBron James at 6'8", 280, 70, yeah, running the court? On. Of course. So it's And Brady could play now. Yep. Tom Brady could have played just fine with Joe Montana. Yeah, he played all that things. way. He was a pocket that's, guy that's then. exactly right. So, <laughs> yes, it is, it's, it's a bit – now, there are some guys. And when they say, well, guys used to come to camp to get in shape. Right. Well, if you were born in it, you know what Dan Fouts and those guys would have done? Right. They would have trained different exactly to keep right. up. So exactly. I, I don't like it. I love the comparison of is Brady better than Elway or is, is Brady and Fran Tarkenton. The way Fran Tar- the truth is Fran Tarkenton was born a guy like that too soon. Yeah. Think if Fran Tarkenton was, was running not, around right. in this football. Right. Yep. And running so yes, people can cross over eras and study and it's more specialized now, but back then it was a little bit more of a grind. You put them together, it all evens itself yeah, out. I'm yeah. with you 100%. Toe Jam 1013 asks, would you rather have your team win one kind of odd championship, win the Super Bowl with, with no superstars, or have 15 really good years with a superstar but no championship? And we, and you and I aren't the star. We have that guy who yeah, is a star. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking the one. I mean, 15 good years is great. I'm assuming that you're going to give me at least 12 or 15 to get the Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I know this. I love getting paid and all that's fine and dandy, but Mike, and I think you feel the same, but we were cut from the same cloth that there's nothing like the feel. And I, and I, listen, I can preach it. I played with six or seven Hall of Famers. Well, counting Junior Seau and saying I played with like eight Hall of Famers. Right. And we didn't win a Super Bowl. We made playoffs and it was great in those teammates, but all of us would have said, can we have the Super Bowl ring in yep. Minnesota or so I will take the ring in 12 or 15 good years with a bunch of guys. Then I will play. I can watch the superstars highlights later that they're yep. the Hall of Famers. Yep. And I was a joy to play with them. I'll take the ring, Mike. Me, me too. I, I want the ring. And that's it. That's it. You know, we weren't the superstars of a team. You know, we right. were, we were part of a team and, and I always wanted to, you got the feeling in a great cup. I mean, you had that feeling. I, I'm envious of anybody who at the end of a long season when the clock or whatever they're playing hits all zeros and you can walk around and hug everybody and say, we're the best in that league for that year, man. I'll never forget Joe Theismann saying, I would rather not go to a Super Bowl than go to a Super Bowl and lose. And I said, spoken like somebody who's won a Super Bowl. Right. You know what? Because that's right. a bunch of horseshit. There is right. no chance. I would give me give me the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Minnesota Vikings. I'll go to four and I'll lose them. At least right. I at least I have it. You can't win a Super Bowl if you ain't in it. See, and I don't look at the Buffalo Bills as a losing franchise. No, but they no. did four in a row. The, the, yes. the players on that team they just unfortunately got beat four times. That to me is a winning organization. But Mike, I'm with you. And like even with the Grey Cup, that last snap and it could I don't care if it's a high school championship, no, a right. national championship. That last snap and kneeling down, are you are you kidding? The, the feeling of being able to kneel down and hold the ball and look for your parents, come yep. on, man, irreplaceable. I'm with you. So I got one more kind of a – this is a 
all inclusive because the one thing I mean, I remember at ESPN. Didn't you do a when we, this is back when we had hockey? Didn't you do an NHL live show? You I did. You, with, you with like John Bucci, Grass yeah. and, Barry, and Barry Melrose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys it. still doing blast. their stuff. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's right. So Lancelot seventy four. This is interesting, cause I, and, and I didn't really stop and think about it until I, I read it. Why is it okay for two of the best players in baseball to play on a losing team every year? He's talking about Shohei and Trout, right? Yeah, right. He's saying it seems like this happens in other sports. It's all, it's all free whoever. Get them out of there. But not in baseball. They win the MVP and never make the playoffs. And I started thinking about it. And it seems pretty true that in other sports, those guys or their agents or their handlers want to get them out of there and get them somewhere else. But in baseball, it's just it's just for for like the Angels, it's just kind of the way it is. Right, and in baseball too, like the trying to find the value in basketball. Well, and listen, there's no league that's more player driven than like in basketball, basketball, right? Where the superstars drive it, and they. I've never met a time in my life where a superstar could say, I'm four years left in my contract. I want out. I want and out. And the general manager feels like he has to, dude, yep. bitch, you're un- under contract. Yeah. They, they That's can't what they say, say that. to me, right? Yeah, exactly. You yes. can't say it. And I'm not being just, I'm talking about anybody. Like, yes, they, yes. Unless you're a star. You go to him and say, I want out. Oh, okay. Oh, you want out? Great. Then let, let, let me help Let me help you get out. Yeah, let me yeah. trade you for somebody less. I mean, I don't want to trade. The, my best players, but you know what? The, the, the stars get to dictate it, but like yep. with Trout and Otani, think about this. And Mike Trout, and you're right, man, it's a sad because this is as good a player, Mike. You know, oh. Bob, we got to see Bonds. We've crossed over a couple generational town. Mike Trout is so good, but you know what? I would take the fact that he's never going to play in a World Series right. game, let alone, then I, and you can have the field, and I'll say that Trout is not going to yet. Right. This guy, I would love to see him in a in a uniform where he's making the playoffs area, so we could see how he was under duress and pressure. But yeah, baseball, it's 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 really odd. But once they lock onto those twelve year, thirteen year, four hundred and fifty million dollar contracts, they just don't trade those guys until later. For the most part, they just don't move them. Unlike in football, they're starting to do it more. But they never used to do it. Right. Basketball, right. the basketball, they just get to dictate where they want, which is. General managers in basketball seem to have no control over what their team's doing. You know, in, in baseball, these guys would sign those big, long 10-year deals when they were 30 years old, knowing the last four years were going to be awful. Right. At least now you see some of the long deals signed by 25, 26-year-olds, which makes a little more sense, you right. know, because they're younger. And so one more before we get to college, let, let's do on basketball. And, and speaking of trades and stuff, the Rudy Gobert trade, it still blows my mind. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm going to ask the question. Rudy Gobert, when he got traded to the Timberwolves, went for four. Well, it was five players and four first-round draft picks. So, A, where do you think Kevin Durant ends up? And what kind of freaking haul is that guy going to get? Well, here's the brunt with KD, who is friggin' Mike, there's a lot of great players. I, Kevin Durant can score as well as anybody I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah. And get a shot when he wants, and the guy's magical. Um, if I'm the G- if I'm the GM, here's what. Oh, he wants to go to Dallas. Great. Well, again, I want Luca, and I want two other first rounders. Come. Well, we're yeah. not giving you Luca. Well, then yeah. you're not getting Kevin Durant. Well, exactly. It's like you because wherever he goes, you still want to win. You don't want him to trade the whole team yeah. away. Oh, so you want to go to Denver? Okay, I'll take Nikola Jokic in a first round pick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you want to go to Philadelphia? We'll send me Joel Embiid. Well, yeah. no, we don't want to get rid of those guys. Well, no shit. Yeah. Who does? Yeah. I mean, it just like uh, Mike. Here's the thing that blows my mind, and I and well, I'm 99 on player side. And I, you and I yes, had yeah, conversations. Yes. I'm yeah. usually on a player side, but here's KD, and like basketball is unique. This is a phenomenal player who's got championship rings, and at the largest stage when he was at Golden State, was the best player on the floor much of the time. Right. Yet we still question yeah. out there in some national media hot stuff if he's if he can play. Well, yeah. But here's the other side. I'm the general manager of Brooklyn and Kevin Durant with four years left on his contract and he could still average 30 game walks into my office and says, uh, here's who I want to get traded to. First, I'm looking to say, thanks, KD. I appreciate it. I appreciate the list. Now, here's your choices. You and your agent go out and find a trade. But when you go bring me back the hall, we're talking about, I want right, Luca. Right. I want that guy. And if not, I'll see you at camp. And if you don't show up, Unfortunately for you, you don't get paid. Dude, right. And it's a backhanded compliment. I'm not trading him unless I get a haul. And if Gobert's getting five players and four ones, what are you going to do? Mortgage the franchise till 2070 for Kevin Durant? So that's no. the thing. Yeah, because Throw his a li- set of balls, general managers, and quit yeah. giving these guys every single 
avenue they want. Yeah, they even talk- though I know they're going to get it. Where Why would say, I trade Kevin Durant? What do you Why? say? The, the two places that they talked about were the Suns and Miami. So it's like, right. I, I'm with you. Okay, we'll see what we can get back, you know, for that. Right. Because, yeah, Durant doesn't want to go anywhere where he's not going to have other stars. You're not winning it alone nowadays. Starting lineup for the Phoenix yeah. Suns, Kevin Durant, nobody else. Yeah. They traded everybody for him. Yeah, right? it, it's going to be interesting. Oh, so I don't know where he ended. And now there's talk about him going back to the Warriors. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that as well. The Warriors, does he go back to the Nets? Is it Miami? Toronto was in there. I mean, it's, it's good to be wanted, isn't it? And, man. and to be able to say, yeah, I got four years left, but you know what? I want to go. Okay. I want out. I'm just waiting for a general manager to say, no, dude, I, I, I love you. You ain't going anywhere until yeah. you can get me half the franchise. Yeah. Other than that, you ain't going nowhere. But the interesting thing is that they do trade him, then hell, you might as well, at that point, you might as well get rid of Kyrie as well. That's exactly right. right. If you're going, if he's going, start the building. Yeah. And now poor Ben Simmons. Yeah. How about it? Hey, (laughs) Ben. He was going to win a title. Hey, Ben, you're going to have to shoot now. (laughs) You got got no star to dish you to under the net. (laughs) Who you passing to, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get to the, uh, and again, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this. I've talked about this already, but it's unbelievably unique what's going on in college football, especially with our alma mater. Yours immediately and mine eventually is going to have to make a decision. But the news, and I know obviously it's been out there, but you were a USC guy. When you first heard, now I don't know if you had an inkling of this happening, uh, but when you first heard that USC and UCLA were going to join the Big Ten, what were your thoughts? Not an inkling. You know when they talk about them leaving conferences a couple, like a year ago, Mike, they turned it down and I, I don't get me into the Pac-12 commissioner. I, I won't even get in that because I'm going to be I'm going to put a kinder, gentler self about the Pac-12 <laughs> former commissioner and what they did and forgot about yeah. what, 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 what they needed to do. But that being said, my initial reaction, Mike, was the sentimental thing like hit me a little bit, right? The sentimental part of, oh, that's where I grew up. And I'm a Southern, in Southern Cal. The only time we get to play a Big Ten team back in the day was in the Rose Bowl, right? And the granddaddy of them all on January 1st. So I got over the, the sentimental part because I th- then I started to say, okay, would you rather play Oregon State and Corvallis at a 10 o'clock East Coast game on a Saturday night right. or Notre Dame once you guys go to the Big Ten? Because I will see you there sooner <laughs> yeah, than later. Yeah, you will. And, and then I think, well, we're keeping UCLA rivalry. We're keeping the Notre Dame rivalry. Mike, in truth, other than the weird geography that seems to have no play in college football anymore, right, right. it's pro sports. It's what it is. Say what you want, but it is. And with all that's gone on, I guess we expected craziness. Now they're going to have to adjust the playoff, obviously. Right. But, Mike, I, I, after I got over the sentimental, man, that's, I was a Pac-10 guy. Then I said, Sean, things change. Society changes. Competition and money. It was a no-brainer, but you had to do it. And so we get to play you guy when you do go. We're right. still playing you regardless. because that Right, regardless, right, right. So you want to see Ohio. Here's your back-to-back weeks. you got Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State in October and early November. Or you got Arizona, Oregon State. I'm not dogging them. You know what right, I'm right. saying. No, I know, I know, it, I know. It's that 12 noon or primetime game on a Saturday. The competition's better. It was smart for us to do it. And they're going to make quadruple the money in right. TV revenue right. than they made at the Pac-12. It had to happen. And we got a warm seat for you, brother, right next to us because we ain't going without you. <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll get to us. Uh, where do you think college football is heading? I think after the, it's, there has to be an end game to when I say right. end game, they're going to have to adjust name, image, and likeness a little. I would think where, when you can give it in endorsements, not in high school, but when they get, and then the transfer portal, Mike, which has gone a little bit haywire. Yeah. I think everything's just on the fly right now. I honestly, I've never seen it where it's gone in 18 months. It's like, well, what the hell just happened? We wanted a sandwich two years ago in the locker rooms to get extra food. And here we are. So here's where I think it's going to happen, Mike, at least for start, you're going to get, Three of those power fives, which are going to be SEC, because ACC is going to leave. They're going to take the big guys, and they're going to leave. Yeah. And then the Big Ten is going to grab them, and they're going to grab, try to grab a couple more and then grab you guys. And the, SC, uh, the Big 12 is going to go out and try to get four or six teams, Utah's, Colorado's, the Arizona's. Right. And what's going to happen, Mike, we're going to be down to, in my opinion, three. It's going to be really two, two superpower conferences. Right. At three power conferences. Right. And the Pac-12, the Fresno States may join in. And the ACC, you'll get, you're going to have some leftover from Conference U.S. You know, they're going to miss a match. It's going to be the SEC. It's going to be the Big Ten, whatever we call it. And it's going to be the Big 12. That's going to be the power. And they're going to have to change it and get to a 16-team playoff because 
the fifth best team in the SEC is going to be better than most of the teams elsewhere yeah, yeah. and in the Big Ten. So I would imagine, Mike, the NC2A is going to be uh, – they're, they're going to be done sooner than later. We're going to get unions for players, and it's going to be a superpowers. But for the time being, it's no longer going to be power five. That's coming down the pike sooner than later. Power three and then whatever they do with it from there. Yeah, so you're even saying power three because a lot of people are saying power two, and then it's right. like the Pac-12 ACC and the Big 12 is fighting to be that third. And I agree the third, with you. The, right. the Big exactly 12, right. I think, is going to be the third. I think the Pac-12 is in trouble, and I think the ACC is going to get out of there. And it's going to end up in court, not so much of trying to get out um, from your contract. It's the contract of, of then of Grant, uh, Grant and rights, I think. Because the ACC, the TV deal goes to 2036, and those teams would give up any TV money, and they'd have to sue to get out. So lawyers are going to get – the winners are going to be lawyers again because they're going to be the rich ones. Because you follow the financial stuff too. Yeah. And, you know, the talk about ESPN wanting to to get out, I've read that too, and I know you have, about wanting to get out of the contract. The truth is if you're the ACC and you got plans like Florida State and Clemson and North Carolina, whoever they are, you know what the truth is you're saying, the commissioner? Let's let let's let let's let ESPN or those back out of it. Let's let them go so we stay away from lawsuits and then go jump in and get well far more money than we're getting now. And it's just exactly. going to be the fact. You know what I'm saying? Well, so you're going to somehow you're gonna get, some way. Yeah, you're going to get money whether it's from um, from the the network or you're going to get money if teams do want to leave. They're going to have to pay. I mean, That's they're right. going to have to pay that exit money. But so let's get to Notre Dame. I mean, whatever Notre Dame would have to pay, all of Notre Dame sports are in the ACC. Notre Dame football, they are not joining the ACC. It's not going to happen. They have two choices. They'll stay independent as long as them staying independent makes them the money they want and they're able to have a path to the playoffs. Right. And they'll stay independent. As soon right. as any of that fluctuates, if it becomes harder to make the playoffs or if going to the Big Ten will garner you a hell of a lot more money, then it becomes your line of, okay, where's the line of demarcation of this is too much right. money to turn down? Because I don't give a shit who you are. This is still run by money. We can go talk about the PGA and the Live Tour. It's about money. Don't give me, a, I got more time. I can spend time with my family. I can do this. You went because you want to make money. And, and that's okay. If it's about money, they get into the moral stuff that, you know, and you want to talk about the that. Money's the sun. The, the money, All it's the exactly other stuff, right. That's, the, the other stuff fits in there, categorized. Mike, I got to ask you a question about Notre Dame. What happens, in your opinion, if they go to the Big Ten and ESPN's controlling the TV stuff, right? What will happen with NBC and Notre Dame if that happens? Well, first, first, I think Fox is going to get the deal. Right. And I okay. think it's going to be about a billion dollars right. in that area there. Uh, and I think I think that the NB, the NBC deal goes Sean for two more years, right? So and I think that's a I think they're getting fifteen mil, twenty mil mm-hmm. from NBC, which will be a drop in the bucket. Oh yeah, it's through, chump through change compared to what they're going to get. So right. I think that contract is going to be up unless unless NBC wants to continue, they'll have to really open their wallet up. And I I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think Fox is going to have the majority of those games, and they're going to pay a lot of money for it. And just like the SEC. As they should, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facts. Yes. You're the most historic program in college football history. And there's something to be said. Notre Dame, and it's Notre Dame. It doesn't matter if I went to Southern California. It's the most. Matter of fact, Mike, I contend, and I know people are going to argue this, and this comes from a Trojan who went on a recruiting trip to Notre Dame. Right, right. Respect in the world is I think it's the most historic collegiate program in any sport. Disagree or agree? Um... In any sport. Army, Navy, I, I know the back Army, Navy tradition. I'm talking yeah. about powerhouse with history and tradition and can command money and blue blood. Come on, Mike. There can't be any Hall of Famers, Heisman. Well, well listen, I, I certainly think there is with the, with the tied for the most titles, most um, you know Heisman Trophy winners. And I think what separated them is, you know, we talk about football on national TV, but we know about the regional you know, the Alabama Auburns, the USC, right. UCLA, you know, basketball, the Duke, North Carolinas. Notre, right. Dame, uh, Notre Dame is a national team. You know, Notre, Notre Dame early on, they, they barnstormed. They just went around around the country, you know, and played everywhere. Like, you know, they, they can do that. They had the Shamrock Series where they go play. This year it's in, it's in Las Vegas. And they right. sell out everywhere. They're like a national team. So, yeah, I, I think – and they had such early success. Obviously, they haven't had the title since 88, but they had so much success early on. But I love people talking about Notre Dame's not relevant anymore. It just – it makes me laugh. 
Those are you the know, people who want, don't want Notre Dame to be relevant. Yeah. You can't run and hide. It, it makes Notre me Dame, laugh. Brother. It's like, it's like right. oh, they, they get all the rules. They make the rules. The 13 people in the room putting them in the playoffs, you know, aren't being bribed by Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't right. make the rules. And I contend this. You tell me if I'm wrong. If any school out there, if USC was independent, making money on their own and doing their thing, any school out there would be doing the exact same thing Notre Dame is doing right now and living that way. Well, it goes back to the trail. Where's it lead, Mike? To money. You know why Notre Dame does their, it? Their own money. They're because splitting. They can, brother. Yes, That's yes, right. yes. And we're all, we're all envious of it, but I, I, I'm so glad for us, selfish reasons, that no matter where they go or where we end up, you can guarantee normally in November at some point in time that Southern Cal and Notre Dame are going to get it on and what I consider, I still, when both are good, as good a national rivalry as there is. So, yeah, Mike, I, I, now let me ask you, your gut feeling, if you had to bet your, your savings on it, Right. In 2024, 2025, in that range, where will Notre Dame be? I, I, I don't know. I, now, the Big Ten has said, the Big Ten, which has 16 teams, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Big 28. Yeah, exactly. They said, they said, as they put it, we're not open for business anymore after getting USC and UCLA. But we, but we also, we also believe sure that we also believe the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC had this alliance right. where they have yeah. each other's hey, back. Th- hey, this is Notre Dame. We'd like, yeah. oh, damn, we're open for business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you make that um, call, business opens in a hurry. I do think eventually, boy, putting a year on it, Sean, that's going to be tough. Right. I don't know if they wait and see until this next thing settles, Texas, Oklahoma, and the SEC, USC, UCLA, in the Big Ten, and then they go from there. I do think eventually, and and, and I think the TV money might be too tough to turn down, um, you know, even with splitting it with all the teams. Right. I mean, so I, I do in the math quickly in my head. Um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm good at simple math. I think it's kind of simple. A billion dollars, and there's 16 teams. I'm doing division quickly. It turns out I think it's about 50 to 50, 55 million per team uh, that, that you're going to get. And Notre Dame right now is making 15, one five, I think, from NBC. So, and then that's just from TV, you know, obviously that other way. So I think that's going to be a big determining factor. Money they make, is it going to be that much more in the conference and ease to get in? Uh, to the playoffs. But I do think eventually they will join a conference. And people have asked me this too, Sean. I have no problem with it. I have no Neither, problem. Right, right. Notre Dame is in, in the driver's seat. They have leverage. You know, they can do what they feel is right and for their school. And that's what we school. all want. And, and right. Us, uh, leverage. They when, got it. As I've always said, you have a chance to swing the leverage hammer. You swing that son of a bitch as hard as you possibly can. So Because if you don't, guess what? Somebody, somebody else, else will. Mike, yeah. that numbers you talked about for Notre Dame with the money. I know last year the Pac-12 split. It was like 19-some million dollars each. I mean, that's what the conference spread. The lowest moneymaker in the Big Ten last year was like 47 million, 40-some million. See, when you're making four times as much, you've got to go. Yeah, And you guys at being Notre Dame, I mean, it's not just the TV money. When you're a national brand, you know what comes with that, right? And sold-out stadiums and everything else. It's amazing to me. And and some people say, God, don't, don't you hate the history of the fact that Notre Dame and USC are this national rival, and they can end up in the same conference. And my thought is not the old man on the porch screaming at all. The shit is is different. It's wrong. Mine is like, man, you know what? Times are changing. You either adapt or die. And if that's that's what it's going to be, it'll be odd. You know who I think, real quick, Sean, you know who I think is going to have the toughest time with all of this is the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is going to have to adapt. The Rose Bowl, if they want to be part of the of the playoff picture, they can't hold on to the tradition of what they no. had. They're going to have to give that up. They are. And we know you like hear our guy Kirk Herbstreit, like that's his favorite bit. I mean, and it's like good, the good Lord shines down on the Rose Bowl with that yeah. perfect weather, yeah. <laughs> 1.30 Pacific time. Yeah. You're exactly right. Mike, don't discount that. You're not, I know you're kind of saying a smile, but it's true, the adjustments they're going to have to make. And here's the deal. We're still going to play in the Coliseum. We're still yep. going to play in South Bend. It's yep. going to be on national TV, and we're still going to get after it. So yep. whether it's national or not, it's still going to be national, even though we're in the same conference, if that happens someday. So true. It is absolutely so true, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, all right, so I got another question, because I told people sports and non-sports. So let's, let's, let's do a non-sports one. This is a pretty one. Uh, Amin Hammerlink. Hamalink. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Some of these handles, I just. You know. 
That's why mine's at I'm Golan. I'm smart Very enough to simple. get by my name. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, I love this. Completely random. When you say, for example, to the mechanic, I'd like to pick my car up in the afternoon, what's the latest reasonable time that can be considered afternoon? It's an interesting question. That is, for me, and just my initial reaction is 30 minutes before closing time. And that could be dinner time. So if it closes at 6, now, if it's one of those places like your – because I don't think the vehicle places like getting your oil changed or your tire, stay open until 9. So let's say it's 6 o'clock, right, that they'll close on a Wednesday. For me, afternoon still falls into that early dinner time. They, they, they're pissed off because you come in at 30 minutes before they close and they want right. to get their cleaning up. Right. But that, that for me, but at 3 o'clock still to me, that's mid-afternoon. you got to be creeping closer to dinner time for me to say that's at the end of the day, the end of the afternoon. Within 30 minutes of closing time while the sun's still up is mine. That's a good way to put it by closing time because this person was saying like 5, 5.30. But a half hour to closing time, I, I kind of like. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. What, what is late in the afternoon? It's a it's a wide range. Because if it's uh, if they close at nine o'clock, like you're going to a clothing store on a yeah, yeah. Wednesday in the summer, different story. Then right, you right. say, well, sun's going down, but if the sun is still shining, yeah, and it's open till six o'clock, to me that still creeps into the, it may be dinner, but that's still afternoon to me. Yeah, I would agree. I would go five thirty on that as well. I would completely agree. That is a that's a good one here. One other one now. You, you don't, do you not have grandkids yet or do you? I don't. Okay. I just had my first one two weeks ago. Congratulations. I, yeah. I knew that from your daughter. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. Glad, I'm glad we got to do this person. I, I know I sent you a message, but congratulations, yeah. brother. That's got to be wild. You get to give them back. Oh, dude, my, my brother, who has like 90 of them, it feels like, <laughs> he says it's the, he, he said it's, it's the same love you have for your kids because it's your kids with their yeah, children. Yeah. But you just get to give them back. And give you them back. Spoil them, and it's all on them to raise them. So yeah, it's cool. yeah. So I got a question about it was my son Jake and his wife Jenny. Uh, Jake played football at Notre Dame. Jenny ran track at Notre Dame. So we're hoping she, uh, the, ba- the 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 baby Jackson, their son, gets Jenny's. You know, right. those legs. She Jenny, was a hurdler. Like, it's your daughter-in-law, correct? Yeah, right. Yes, right. my daughter-in-law. Because your, your other daughter was my married daughter. recently. Right. Sydney, she got married yeah. to Ben Broniker, who played when ball with the Bears. I say your other daughter. I call, and, yeah. I call in-laws and right. daughter. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with but you. But your your daughter, it's Jake's child. So he's the and he's the middle one. So he's he, the middle. Right. Yep. So, but but Jake and he's a tall. When he's I saw tall. Jake, I thought he was going to be like seven foot when he, when he, when oh, he, I know. When he was a kid. But I, I, re- I remember in like seventh grade, he was like 6'4", and the doctor's like, he's going to be 6'10". He never grew more. He was like, <laughs> ended up being 6'4 and a half. It was amazing. Congratulate him for me. Yeah. Man. That's oh, I, I will. Awesome. So, so about three weeks old, Jackson, he's doing great. Um, but uh, Mammy Sweeney asks, what's the first thing that you want to teach your grandson? That's very easy. Good three-point stance. Go ahead. Good three, point, good three point stance. Well, see, for you, my first thing is um, is Woods, Tiger Woods giving golf lessons. <laughs> oh, no, that's a good point. I went right to my sport. I should give him yeah, golf yeah. clubs, right? I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying football comes last. Now, I, you know what? Now, if we're just talking about life when they're old enough, is make sure you treat, I mean, that, that you treat women the right way. That right. You, all that stuff. But right. if we're talking go, about the fun go stuff, sports, yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly for the fun stuff. Um, the truth is for me, can you hit, can you switch hit? Can you throw left-handed and can you hit a golf ball? <laughs> That's where I'm going. Man. Boy, I, I didn't yeah. go wide enough. That's probably smart. The first I don't thing want I, your kid to, I don't want your, your grandson from your son and your, your daughter-in-law to be getting pounded in the nose. I know. Isn't that awful? Position. The first thing I thought was right-handed stance, left-handed stance. Make sure you can do them both. And you're right. Why the hell am I thinking that? Do I'm like, and Jake's probably like, and your daughter-in-law's like, what did you just say, yeah. Pops? Yeah, <laughs> Give him a golf club. God. Oh, that's going to be it. But you're right. I'm looking forward to, to seeing him. And as and you I'm said. I'm so proud of you, man. Yeah. Tell me your can – I, can I hear what your first feeling was when you, when you got the call? I mean, well, first, how it happened, you know, we, I've said this before, but get – so we had our first, our first golf tournament here as a Golic Family Foundation. Right. Had a lot of Notre Dame uh, players come back. We had it right here at the golf course at Notre Dame. Jenny was due July 15th. Her due date is still four days away. (laughs) So this is June 25th and people are in town. Jake came in town. Jenny couldn't travel. They live in Boston. Jake came in town and said, this is my last blowout. I'm going to get golf, get hammered. And then I got to go be a dad and never sleep again. You're right. Right. He gets here, Sean, on a Saturday 
and the tournament's a party Sunday night and golf is Monday. He gets here on a Saturday. He probably had two beers, was here an hour and a half, two hours. His wife calls him and said, my water broke. I'm heading to the hospital. So we had to get him back on a plane, get him back to Boston. He got back there late Saturday night. She had the baby Sunday afternoon, like three weeks early. So they had an adventure just getting Jackson into the world. Oh, and how awesome, though. And he was able to make it on time and everything. I'm almost and made it there, was there on time yeah. for the baby to be. That's awesome. It was there on time and seeing, so hearing that, but then seeing the first picture, I, I me and Chris, we, we kind of like, you kind of lose your breath. You oh, know, yeah. when, when I was when I was on the other side of it, like Jake was there, you're too worried about, is Jenny okay? Is the baby okay? You know, you're my God. And then, but we weren't there. So our first view was, Jenny holding the baby and you're like, you're like, you, you're yeah, kind of take your gasp, like, Oh my God. You know, Mike, I, I see, I keep thinking about Jake and, and our kids that we all both yeah, have three yeah, yeah. and a daughter's the youngest. Yeah. Right. And I go back to in pro bowl days when the kids would come yeah. with us <laughs> and they're out there body surfing. I'm yeah. thinking now I got, we got chefs and we got grandkids yes, and we yes. got, and I'm like, I couldn't be more proud of them. You guys have done awesome. But it, and but I, it's wild. Like, it, it? it is. I mean, when I'm sitting here saying, 30-year-old kid, get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah. Get the hell out of here. They're so, catching us because we're not getting older. That's, that's exactly yeah. that's right. Dude, you still got all your hair. What are you bitching about? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> My boys are pissed because they don't they don't have theirs. So <laughs> well, Shawnee, this was this was awesome, man. man Again, dude, you, I, I you know what we're, we're still be in this business for a while. God knows when our when our paths will keep crossing. I, I enjoy this a lot. It's very My man, easy. let me tell you something. As I've said to you, and I say this to you all, I, I hopefully often enough but it's never often enough is your friendship from day one class and i know you're a guy that you don't like many compliments and i don't really give a shit if you don't like them because you're <laughs> it's the truth man you're your family to me your your whole family's phenomenal and as a friend and as a work cohort and having me come on here when i tell you it's an honor for me to do it i miss our time shoulder to yeah. shoulder yeah but you know what i'll take these whenever we get them and we'll be drinking a beer and smoking a cigar and hitting golf balls and i'll do this for you I crawled 10 miles over brack, broken glass for you, brother. You've been with me the whole time, and I can't thank you enough. I do the same with you, my friend. No no, no doubt at all. So, I, I, like I said, this will not be the last time we share a microphone. And we're tonight. kicking your ass this fall, by the way. Shit, we got to get a quarterback. I got to deal with a quarterback, man. I say we, we, are, we do have that advantage. Yes, right you now. do. Yes, you do. You got a rich coach who's, who bought a phenomenal place. Oh. Oh my God! Well, I, I'd like to know when former players get to go party. Uh, yeah, in his house. how about it? When's he going to bring know. you guys there? Isn't That's that the exactly truth? right. All right, uh, we'll, it'll be we'll, fun. We'll have our bet yeah, before we'll we get on and yeah, do it that week yeah. or something. All right, good deal. Thanks, Sean.